Hey everyone, back again. Today we're going to talk about the distinction between Edward Said and Homi Baba. Or to put it in other terms, the distinction between Orientalism, as Edward Said conceives of it, versus Homi Baba's notion of a hybridity. Now, despite what the title of this video might suggest, this is going to be a lot less polemical. That is, all I'm going to try to do is outline the differences in these very important approaches to post colonialism and post-colonial studies. Now before jumping into it, hi, I'm David. I try to explain philosophical concepts and ideas and ways to make them accessible to you. So if you're new here, go check out my 250 some episodes I already have up. If you found this on YouTube, you're going to be able to find it in podcast form pretty much anywhere where you get podcasts. Or if you found this in podcast form, you're going to be able to find the video on YouTube if you're into that at all. If you want to follow me anywhere other than here, you can find me on Instagram at theory and at theory underscore and underscore philosophy or on Twitter at David Guineo. Links for those things in the description. And if you want to help me out, like, share, subscribe, tell your friends. You can help me out monetarily via Patreon or PayPal, but obviously no pressure. So yeah, let's jump into these very complicated ideas, very complicated thinkers, what they say and how they are different. Now, just so you know, I've done a number of episodes covering both Homi Baba and Edward Said, and you can go find those pretty easily on my channel or, or in podcast form if you just type in their names. And so here, I'm just going to provide more of a cursory look at each, kind of a broad presentation that, that'll be relatively quick, and then outline how they are different and how Homi Baba really challenges some of the central tenets of Edward Said's thesis in his text, Orientalism. Now to start with Edward Said, he obviously provided the groundwork for much of what would become post-colonial theory in that he was trying to understand the ways in which the Near Orient, what we would know now as the Middle East, how that was constructed by Europeans. That is, how travelogues, how academic manuscripts, how politicians sought to impose a certain vision of the Orient that would comply with their belief that anything that wasn't the West and that had different values in the West, was inferior to the West, was inferior to Europe. So many of these different institutions within Europe sought to articulate and impose some central ideas about the Orient as being a place of licentiousness or, or laziness, a place of conspiracy, a place of dictatorial rule, a place of communal submission to tradition, instead of individualism. Now, of course, in and of themselves, it's difficult to find any actual justification for them being naturally inferior in any way. But instead, these terms are often deployed because they are charged already within the European imagination as being negative things, embodying negative attributes that, just by association, come to be associated with people in these areas. Now, one of the most violent functions of these types of discourses or of this type of rhetoric was to reduce what would otherwise be completely different cultures and people to a single homogenous mass of negative attributes. So someone in Iran was going to be bestowed with similar qualities as someone in Pakistan or people in Eastern Europe who are often fall under the umbrella of this oriental imagination are going to be conflated with people from Afghanistan. And, you know, it goes on much deeper than that, of course. But just to give you an idea of how the violence works to 
homogenize people, to reduce them to a single homogenous mass that makes them prime targets for exploitation. And this exploitation can take, and indeed has taken, many forms. It can simply be used as economic exploitation. If you are able to construct people in a certain way, it's going to be a lot easier to drum up public support for military operations there, for corporate ventures there, in order to seal possible oil futures, as the United States would eventually participate in. And because of so many of the attributes that were bestowed upon the Orient as being seen as unsavory to the European imagination, they became a site of fascination for many Europeans. And so Europe saw the Near Orient, saw the Middle East as being an exotic place full of adventure and wonder that can be a site to arrive closer maybe even to nature, therefore maybe to God, if it was motivated by any religious impulse, and it could then be exploited, culturally exploited in that way, where the people and cultures are not respected, not listened to themselves, but are just used for the growth of the European mind, the European person who could go there and just immerse themselves in what they believe to be a more elegant, a more fruitful cultural experience, which on its face might appear to be a somewhat okay thing, but when it is located along a longer historical trajectory of exploitation of this part of the world, then, of course, the actual benevolent attributes of that quest, these possible quests, come to be or should be interrogated and should be seen for what they really are as just an extension of these leg legacies of colonialism. Now, many years later, many years later, <laughs> a couple of decades later, Homi Baba would come along with a number of texts, but the one I'm really drawing from here is his lo The Location of Culture, which is a compilation of essays that are kind of faintly strung together by the common thread of post-colonial studies or thinking about colonization and what colonization means after colonialism, hence post-colonialism. And Homi Baba makes some rather controversial claims about the way in which colonized people are not simply colonized people. And he suggests that in the colonial encounter between a colonizer and a colonized, there's always some kind of giving and taking occurring. Now, with that being said, Homi Baba isn't trying to undermine or to detract from the violence of colonialism, obviously not. His concern is the way in which some perspectives about, or this is one of his concerns, of colonialism come to replicate the same homogenizing functions as colonialism itself. So he leaves room to consider how the colonial project is never actually fully successful at accomplishing its goal. And that is because if its goal is to assimilate people into its value structures, into its national identity into you know other cultural values that it holds dear religious ones and so on that project has never been fully completed and it often will just resort in colonizers committing genocide against the colonized now insofar as he characterizes this as a giving and taking he's suggesting that the colonized themselves undergo a kind of transformation when they come in contact with other people now it is still a meeting of power 
That is, it's still an effort to try to control a colonized people by the imposition of various administrative bodies, of the imposition of certain economic obligations, economic indebtedness to the metropole, to the colonial nation. But at the same time, Baba goes through many different examples of instances in which colonized people come to turn the eye of power back against the colonized by taking elements of the colonial culture, the colonizer's culture, like for example the Bible, and mutating it to fit their own goals. And he outlines many instances where these values that Europe holds dear were actually used to challenge European authority. So for example, some of the parts of European culture at the time of burgeoning enlightenment, enlightenment ideals, especially those pertaining to individualism and being against tyranny, were used to combat, especially in, in India, that's just one example, to combat colonial rule and to combat colonial authority. Now what this did, even though, of course, colonial authority remained after that, it didn't just disappear, the point that Baba is making here is that in turning what Europe took to be, and many European nations took to be, almost sacred, impermeable, that is not that is incapable of being challenged. What the colonized were able to do was to disrupt all of these beliefs, to suddenly make it so that maybe Christianity isn't the only way to think about the divine. Maybe Christianity has flaws because Europe took themselves and European nations took themselves to be the true arbiters of Christian authority. Then suddenly in many different colonial settings, people, colonized people were taking up the religious, these religious texts in ways that were a lot more profound and a lot more transgressive than the European nations. So Baba's idea here is to not just reduce colonized people to this singular homogenous status of being colonized. And we see a similar thesis presented in Paul Gilroy's The Black Atlantic, where there are efforts to try to understand the ways in which colonized people still engage in a kind of agency through colonialism. Because to say otherwise risks of facing the resiliency of these people in maintaining their culture and adopting new cultures. And so Baba, in kind of a Hegelian way, suggests that the colonized, by trying to impose a singular view of the colonizer, and they colonized try to embrace that themselves to say that they are, you know, the children of God, or to say that they are uh, a perfect civilization and it's their duty to spread that perfect civilization everywhere else. In doing so, they actually undermine their own project and they actually undermine their own potential as humans to always embrace growth, transformation, and change, which is something that is still open up to colonize people. And to just briefly expand on the Hegel comment, this relates to the Lord Bondsman idea, where the Lord is always closed off. They believe themselves to be fully complete, whereas the bondsman, by being able to work with the land, by being able to exist in the world, in order to have an ideal to live up to, is actually motivated to change, to adapt, and to become. Now again, this is only a cursory reading of Baba's text, and it isn't to say that Baba is saying that there was no colonial violence that occurred, and that the effects of it were just totally can simply be reduced to a kind of textual interaction between 
colonizers and the colonized. He's not suggesting that at all, nor is he saying there weren't real material effects in erasing colonial colonized people's cultures. These are all very important things to maintain here and to understand that exist here. Now, as far as their differences go between Homi Baba and Edward Said, Baba is not satisfied with the way that Said reduces colonized people to the words imposed upon them by colonizers, by Europeans through Orientalism. So Said makes of the colonial encounter one of pure domination, where Europe comes in, gives the colonized people, in this case, the Middle East, the Near Orient, a face, and it's almost like there's no way, uh, other way to think about that. Now this is problematic for Baba in two significant ways. It fails to understand the multiplicitous nature, the multiplicities that exist on either end of that spectrum, be it from the colonized or the colonizer. And it erases the ways in which these differently situated people in either setting are going to have different relationships with the other. Where it's not so simple as to say that Britain, France, and other countries in Europe simply had this monolithic, homogenous understanding of the Orient, they had very different ones. And Said goes through these. He's very clear that there were differences here. But he always brings it back to this very reductive notion of Orientalism that he just submits to or tries to understand as a latent Orientalism. The idea that there are just there's just a hidden discriminatory essence within the European imagination against the Middle East, which surely is true. And it's important to leave room to acknowledge that. But at the same time, it is a way to gloss over the specific material existences between these two different sites and how they are not in themselves purely unitary sites. They are always up for change. They are always going to be mutated. They are always going to undergo transformations that are going to oppose any standardized belief about one or the other. Now, many times throughout Said's text, he says that it would be absurd to think of there being a field of study called Occidentalism. And the point that he makes there is that we do not see emerging within the Near Orient, the Middle East, a study of the West. And he uses this evidence to say that there is an incongruency in the distribution of global power here, where Europe, because it has this thing called Orientalism, the study of the Orient, and the Orient does not have Occidentalism, the study of the West, then power is working in that direction, from Europe to the Orient. But by saying that, it reduces the very possibility for transgression to manifest itself. In other words, does there need to be specific academic Occidentalism departments to exist in order for resistance to occur? I would certainly hope the answer to that is no, because all that does is it filters the possibility of possible transgression through the lens, through the prism of European institutional structures to say that the only way for resistance to occur is in these institutions which is just to mirror the same colonial structure, to impose, in this case, the university upon these people as a site of possible resistance. Whereas Baba wants to look at the words of the colonized, looks at their literature, their artifacts, the ways that they interact with one another, how there are massive differences between somebody in Iran versus somebody in Afghanistan or in Eastern Europe 
how a Romanian is going to interact with these kinds of discourses, how a Romanian is going to engage with a text like Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is very much an Orientalist text, and how their engagement with that text is in itself a type of resistance. Now, of course, I want to be totally clear, there are problems with Baba's thesis here. It seems kind of naive to think that resistance can manifest itself in these ephemeral ways, in gestures of resistance, what he calls hybridity. By adopting the colonizer's culture, you can oppose that culture, which is a lukewarm way to think about how anti-colonial struggles have actually manifested themselves historically. They've, in a lot of cases, been very violent on local levels where people were fighting back against the colonizer, and that can't be ignored either. It's important to consider both. But I hope what I've done here has been just a way to demonstrate or to elucidate the differences within this field of study, within post-colonialism, between Edward Said and Homi Baba. And if there's anything that you think I should have included or I got wrong, I'd love to hear about it, I can pin comments and people can see how I was wrong. And then we can all have a laugh about it. If you like what I did, like, share, subscribe. And on that note, catch you next time. Take care.